Section four of Round the Red Lamp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Round the Red Lamp by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Section four. The Third Generation. Scudamore Lane, sloping down riverwards from just behind the monument, lies at night in the shadow of two black and monstrous walls which loom high above the glimmer of the scattered gas lamps. The footpaths are narrow, and the causeway is paved with rounded cobblestones, so that the endless drays roar along it like breaking waves. A few old-fashioned houses lie scattered among the business premises, and in one of these, halfway down on the left-hand side, Dr. Horace Selby conducts his large practice. It is a singular street for so big a man, but a specialist who has an European reputation can afford to live where he likes. In this particular branch, too, patients do not always regard seclusion as a disadvantage. It was only ten o'clock. The dull roar of the traffic which converged all day upon London Bridge had died away now to a mere confused murmur. It was raining heavily, and the gas shone dimly through the streaked and dripping glass, throwing little circles upon the glistening cobblestones. The air was full of the sounds of the rain, the thin swish of its fall, the heavier drip from the eaves, and the swirl and gurgle down the two steep gutters and through the sewer grating. There was only one figure in the whole length of Scudamore Lane. It was that of a man, and it stood outside the door of Dr. Horace Selby. He had just rung and was waiting for an answer. The fanlight beat full upon the gleaming shoulders of his waterproof and upon his upturned features. It was a wan, sensitive, clear-cut face with some subtle, nameless peculiarity in its expression, something of the startled horse in the white-rimmed eye, something too of the helpless child in the drawn cheek and the weakening of the lower lip the manservant knew the stranger as a patient and a bare glance at those frightened eyes such a look had been seen at that door many times before is the doctor in the man hesitated he has a few friends to dinner sir he does not like to be disturbed outside his usual hours sir tell him that i must see him Tell him that it is of the very first importance. Here is my card. He fumbled with his trembling fingers in trying to draw one from his case. Sir Francis Norton is the name. Tell him that Sir Francis Norton of Dean Park must see him without delay. Yes, sir. The butler closed his fingers upon the card and the half-sovereign which accompanied it. Better hang your coat up here in the hall. It is very wet. Now, if you will wait here in the consulting-room, I have no doubt that I shall be able to send the doctor in to you. It was a large and lofty room in which the young baronet found himself. The carpet was so soft and thick that his feet made no sound as he walked across it. The two gas-jets were turned only half-way up, and the dim light with the faint aromatic smell which filled the air had a vaguely religious suggestion. He sat down in a shining leather armchair by the smouldering fire and looked gloomily about him. Two sides of the room were taken up with books, fat and sombre, with broad gold lettering upon their backs. 
Beside him was the high, old-fashioned mantelpiece of white marble, the top of it strewed with cotton wadding and bandages, graduated measures and little bottles. There was one with a broad neck just above him, containing bluestone, and another narrower one with what looked like the ruins of a broken pipe-stem and caustic outside upon a red label. Thermometers, hypodermic syringes, bisturis, and spatulas were scattered about both on the mantelpiece and on the central table on either side of the sloping desk. On the same table, to the right, stood copies of the five books which Dr. Horace Selby had written upon the subject with which his name is peculiarly associated, while on the left, on the top of a red medical dictionary, lay a huge glass model of a human eye the size of a turnip, which opened down the centre to expose the lens and double chamber within. Sir Francis Norton had never been remarkable for his powers of observation, and yet he found himself watching these trifles with the keenest attention. Even the corrosion of the cork of an acid bottle caught his eye, and he wondered that the doctor did not use glass stoppers. Tiny scratches where the light glinted off from the table, little stains upon the leather of the desk, chemical formulae scribbled upon the labels of the files nothing was too slight to arrest his attention and his sense of hearing was equally alert the heavy ticking of the solemn black clock above the mantelpiece struck quite painfully upon his ears yet in spite of it and in spite also of the thick old-fashioned wooden partition he could hear voices of men talking in the next room and could even catch scraps of their conversation Second hand was bound to take it. Why, you drew the last of them yourself. How could I play the queen when I knew the ace was against me? The phrases came in little spurts, falling back into the dull murmur of conversation. And then suddenly he heard the creaking of a door and a step in the hall, and knew with a tingling mixture of impatience and horror that the crisis of his life was at hand. Dr. Horace Selby was a large, portly man with an imposing presence. His nose and chin were bold and pronounced, yet his features were puffy, a combination which would blend more freely with the wig and cravat of the early Georges than with the close-cropped hair and black frock-coat of the end of the nineteenth century. He was clean-shaven, for his mouth was too good to cover, large, flexible, and sensitive, with a kindly human softening at either corner, which with his brown sympathetic eyes had drawn out many a shame-struck sinner's secret two masterful little bushy side-whiskers bristled out from under his ears spindling away upwards to merge in the thick curves of his brindled hair to his patience there was something reassuring in the mere bulk and dignity of the man a high and easy bearing in medicine as in war bears with it a hint of victories in the past and a promise of others to come Dr. Horace Selby's face was a consolation, and so too were the large, white, soothing hands, one of which he held out to his visitor. "'I'm sorry to have kept you waiting. It is a conflict of duties, you perceive, a host to his guests and an advisers to his patient. But now I am entirely at your disposal, Sir Francis. But, dear me, you are very cold.' "'Yes, I am cold.' "'And you are trembling all over. Tut! tut this will never do this miserable night has chilled you perhaps some little stimulant no thank you i would really rather not and it's not the night which has chilled me i am frightened doctor 
the doctor half turned in his chair and he patted the arch of the young man's knee as he might the neck of a restless horse what then he asked looking over his shoulder at the pale face and the startled eyes twice the young man parted his lips then he stooped with a sudden gesture and turning up the right leg of his trousers he pulled down his sock and thrust forward his shin the doctor made a clicking noise with his tongue as he glanced at it both legs no only one suddenly this morning hmm the doctor pouted his lips and drew his fingers and thumb down the line of his chin can you account for it he asked briskly no a trace of sternness came into the large brown eyes i need not point out to you that unless the most absolute frankness the patient sprang from his chair so help me god he cried i have nothing in my life with which to reproach myself do you think that i would be such a fool as to come here and tell you lies once for all i have nothing to regret he was a pitiful half tragic and half grotesque figure as he stood with one trouser leg rolled to the knee and that ever-present horror still lurking in his eyes a burst of merriment came from the card players in the next room and the two looked at each other in silence sit down said the doctor abruptly your assurance is quite sufficient he stooped and ran his finger down the line of the young man's shin raising it at one point hmm serpiginous he murmured shaking his head any other symptoms my eyes have been a little weak let me see your teeth he glanced at them and again made the gentle clicking sound of sympathy and disapprobation now your eye he lit a lamp at the patient's elbow and holding a small crystal lens to concentrate the light he threw it obliquely upon the patient's eye as he did so a glow of pleasure came over his large expressive face a flush of such enthusiasm as the botanist feels when he packs the rare plant into his tin knapsack or the astronomer when the long-sought comet first swims into the field of his telescope this is very typical very typical indeed he murmured turning to his desk and jotting down a few memoranda upon a sheet of paper curiously enough i am writing a monograph upon the subject it is singular that you should have been able to furnish so well-marked a case he had so forgotten the patient in his symptom that he had assumed an almost congratulatory air toward its possessor he reverted to human sympathy again as his patient asked for particulars my dear sir there is no occasion for us to go into strictly professional details together he said soothingly if for example i were to say that you have interstitial keratitis how would you be the wiser there are indications of a strenuous diathesis in broad terms i may say that you have a constitutional and hereditary taint the young baronet sank back in his chair and his chin fell forward upon his chest the doctor sprang to a side table and poured out half a glass of liqueur brandy which he held to his patient's lips a little fleck of colour came into his cheeks as he drank it down perhaps i spoke a little abruptly said the doctor but you must have known the nature of your complaint why otherwise should you have come to me god help me i suspected it but only to-day when my leg grew bad my father had a leg like this it was from him then no from my grandfather you have heard of sir rupert norton the great corinthian the doctor was a man of wide reading 
with a retentive memory the name brought back instantly to him the remembrance of the sinister reputation of its owner a notorious buck of the thirties who had gambled and duelled and steeped himself in drink and debauchery until even the vile set with whom he consorted had shrunk away from him in horror and left him to a sinister old age with the barmaid wife whom he had married in some drunken frolic as he looked at the young man still leaning back in the leather chair there seemed for the instant to flicker up behind him some vague presentiment of that foul old dandy with his dangling seals many wreathed scarf and dark satiric face what was he now an armful of bones in a mouldy box but his deeds they were living and rotting the blood in the veins of an innocent man i see that you have heard of him said the young baronet he died horribly i have been told but not more horribly than he had lived my father was his only son he was a studious man fond of books and canaries and the country but his innocent life did not save him his symptoms were cutaneous i understand he wore gloves in the house that was the first thing i can remember and then it was his throat and then his legs he used to ask me so often about my own health and i thought him so fussy for how could i tell what the meaning of it was he was always watching me always with a sidelong eye fixed upon me now at last i know what he was watching for had you brothers or sisters none thank god well well it is a sad case and very typical of many which come in my way you are no lonely sufferer sir francis there are many thousands who bear the same cross as you do but where is the justice of it doctor cried the young man springing from his chair and pacing up and down the consulting room if i were heir to my grandfather's sins as well as to their results i could understand it but i am of my father's type i love all that is gentle and beautiful music and poetry and art the coarse and animal is abhorrent to me ask any of my friends and they will tell you that and now that this vile loathsome thing ah i am polluted to the marrow soaked in abomination and why haven't i a right to ask why did i do it was it my fault could i help being born and look at me now blighted and blasted just as life was at its sweetest talk about the sins of the father how about the sins of the creator he shook his two clinched hands in the air the poor impotent atom with his pinpoint of brain caught in the whirl of the infinite the doctor rose and placing his hands upon his shoulders he pressed him back into his chair once more there there my dear lad said he you must not excite yourself you are trembling all over your nerves cannot stand it you must take these great questions upon trust what are we after all half evolved creatures in a transition stage nearer perhaps to the medusa on one side than to perfected humanity on the other with half a complete brain we can't expect to understand the whole of a complete fact can we now it is all very dim and dark no doubt but i think that pope's famous couplet sums up the whole matter and from my heart after fifty years of varied experience i can say but the young man gave a cry of impatience and disgust words 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 you can sit comfortably there in your chair and say them and think them too no doubt you've had your life but i've never had mine 
you've healthy blood in your veins mine is putrid and yet i am as innocent as you what would words do for you if you were in this chair and i in that and it's such a mockery and a make-believe don't think me rude though doctor i don't mean to be that i only say that it is impossible for you or any other man to realize it but i've a question to ask you doctor it's one on which my whole life must depend he writhed his fingers together in an agony of apprehension speak out my dear sir i have every sympathy with you do you think do you think the poison has spent itself on me do you think that if i had children they would suffer i can only give one answer to that the third and fourth generation says the trite old text you may in time eliminate it from your system but many years must pass before you can think of marriage i am to be married on tuesday whispered the patient it was the doctor's turn to be thrilled with horror there were not many situations which would yield such a sensation to his seasoned nerves he sat in silence while the babble of the card table broke in upon them again we had a double rough if you had returned a heart i was bound to clear the trumps they were hot and angry about it how could you cried the doctor severely it was criminal you forget that i have only learned how i stand today he put his two hands to his temples and pressed them convulsively you are a man of the world dr selby you have seen or heard of such things before give me some advice i'm in your hands it's all very sudden and horrible and i don't think i'm strong enough to bear it the doctor's heavy brows thickened into two straight lines and he bit his nails in perplexity the marriage must not take place then what am i to do at all costs it must not take place and i must give her up there can be no question about that the young man took out a pocket-book and drew from it a small photograph holding it out towards the doctor the firm face softened as he looked at it it's very hard on you no doubt i can appreciate it more now that i have seen that but there is no alternative at all you must give up all of it but this is madness doctor madness i tell you no i won't raise my voice i forgot myself but realize it man i am to be married on tuesday this coming tuesday you understand and all the world knows it how can i put such a public affront upon her it would be monstrous none the less it must be done my dear lad there is no way out of it you would have me simply write brutally and break the engagement at the last moment without a reason i tell you i couldn't do it i had a patient once who found himself in a somewhat similar situation some years ago said the doctor thoughtfully his device was a singular one he deliberately committed a penal offence and so compelled the young lady's people to withdraw their consent to the marriage the young baronet shook his head my personal honour is as yet unstained said he i have little else left but that at least i will preserve well well it is a nice dilemma and the choice lies with you have you no other suggestion and you don't happen to have property in australia none but you have capital yes then you could buy some tomorrow morning would do a thousand mining shares would be enough 
then you might write to say that urgent business affairs have compelled you to start at an hour's notice to inspect your property that would give you six months at any rate well that would be possible yes certainly it would be possible but think of her position the house full of wedding presents guests coming from a distance it's awful and you say that there is no alternative the doctor shrugged his shoulder well then i might write it now and start tomorrow eh perhaps you would let me use your desk thank you i am so sorry to keep you from your guests so long but i won't be a moment now he wrote an abrupt note of a few lines then with a sudden impulse he tore it to shreds and flung it into the fireplace no i can't sit down and tell her a lie doctor he said rising we must find some other way out of this i will think it over and let you know my decision you must allow me to double your fee as i have taken such an unconscionable time now good-bye and thank you a thousand times for your sympathy and advice why dear me you haven't even got your prescription yet this is the mixture and i should recommend one of these powders every morning and the chemist will put all directions upon the ointment box you are placed in a cruel situation but i trust that these may be but passing clouds when may i hope to hear from you again tomorrow morning very good how the rain is splashing in the street you have your waterproof then you will need it good-bye then until tomorrow he opened the door a gust of cold damp air swept into the hall and yet the doctor stood for a minute or more watching the lonely figure which passed slowly through the yellow splotches of the gas lamps and into the broad bars of darkness between it was but his own shadow which trailed up the wall as he passed the lights and yet it looked to the doctor's eye as though some huge and sombre figure walked by a mannequin's side and led him silently up the lonely street dr horace selby heard again of his patient next morning and rather earlier than he had expected a paragraph in the daily news caused him to push away his breakfast untasted and turned him sick and faint while he read it a deplorable accident it was headed and it ran this way a fatal accident of a peculiarly painful character is reported from king william street about eleven o'clock last night a young man was observed while endeavouring to get out of the way of a hansom to slip and fall under the wheels of a heavy two-horse dray on being picked up his injuries were found to be of the most shocking character and he expired while being conveyed to the hospital an examination of his pocket-book and card-case shows beyond any question that the deceased is none other than sir francis norton of dean park who has only within the last year come into the baronetcy the accident is made the more deplorable as the deceased who was only just of age was on the eve of being married to a young lady belonging to one of the oldest families in the south with his wealth and his talents the ball of fortune was at his feet and his many friends will be deeply grieved to know that his promising career has been cut short in so sudden and tragic a fashion End of section 4